Amen. Let's pray together as we start. God, we pray that the words of your scripture, God, what you've spoken through John, would speak to us today. God, would, would you just work in our hearts that we might understand, that we might sit and behold the great love that you have lavished on us. Lord, may, may I speak your words today, and may you be given glory. We pray this in your name. Amen. Uh, one of my first traumatic, quote-unquote, traumatic memories as a kid happened when I was watching the movie The Lion King. Um, in The Lion King, Mufasa, which is, who is the, the dad of the main character Simba and also the king of the lions, is holding onto this cliff asking for help. And his brother, the evil Scar, the villain of the movie, throws him off the cliff and he dies. Anyways, that scarred me a little bit. Um, in the movie, a little later on, one of the key turning points of, in the movie Lion King is when Simba is uh, looking into this water and he sees a reflection of his, his, his dad, Mufasa, who he didn't grow up with because he had passed away. And Mufasa says to him, he says, You have forgotten me and who you are. And after a bit of dialogue, he says this, remember who you are. You are my son. Remember who you are. And now we're not looking to the Lion King today to kind of get our theology, but remembering who we are is really important for living life as a follower of Jesus. And in these verses, John is reminding his readers, look to God to find your identity. And so he says, this is who you are. Now, one of the first things that John points to in this text that speaks to our identity is in verse 3-1. Let's read that verse. He says, see, or we could translate that, behold, what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. See, behold here, uh, John is actually going from a regular kind of speaking to an excited speech. I mean, he is just getting emotional about this. He's saying, behold. And what he's saying is, what we're beholding is going to give us true knowledge of God. Behold what the Father has lavished on us. This is weird language here for John. John is basically getting so excited and emotional that it's just overflowing. He's not saying, see, God loves you. He actually, the word that comes after behold um, the word what great could be of, of what country? Like, John is saying, where does this come from? This is wild. Behold the love of God that he is lavishing on you. God is giving you this love. And so this is super important for us to understand who we are. We need to sit and behold. He's saying something official is happening. The word lavish could also be translated as bestow. There is something that is happening that God is giving us his love through some event. And we know that that event that we can be called children of God by is the cross of Jesus Christ. He is giving us his love through the cross. Tim Keller says that one of the best kind of images for what it means to lavish or bestow love onto somebody is marriage. So you love someone already before you get married. 
At least you should. You've already confessed your love to one another, and you've made plans to do this thing, but when you get married, there is an event. You're putting it all on the table now. You've made plans. You are going to bestow your love on this person. And you're basically saying, I'm going to give my love to you in a way that goes beyond just talk. My life is going to be drastically changed because of this event here today. And it's going to be changed. Your life and mine will be changed forever. And that's what's happening here. And John is just wildly excited about it. He's pretty relaxed for a good chunk of this letter, but now he's like, behold! I mean, look at this. It's like, have you guys ever been on Facebook or on some kind of thing? You see this cool video or this cute picture, and you're like, check this out. You're like telling your friends, you got to see this. Uh, my wife does that all the time. She gets a picture of our, our niece, and she's like, this girl is so cute. Check this out. That's what's going on in this passage. John is fired up because something has been given to him, to, those, to all of us who believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and he's going, behold, sit here. Look at this. Look at this freshly. You've got to see this. John is showing that beholding the love of Christ, that realizing the great love that God has lavished on us through Jesus Christ is a game changer for how we live our lives. It's a game changer for us either knowing God or knowing about God. See, our goal when we come here is not to know about God. If the truth of the gospel, of what God has done and how he's loved us by sending his son Jesus to die on the cross, never makes it further than your head into your heart, then your life's not really going to change. And the way you love others or God won't be actually found in Christ. It's going to be from somewhere else. See, if this is true, if we truly behold, if we see the great love, the great news that Jesus Christ died on the cross for us, that he's lavished this on us, then what we know about Christ and what he came to do moves from something that's kind of detached from us, that's, that's out here, to something that's connected to every facet and aspect of our lives. I mean, if this is true, holy smokes, that God has lavished this on me by sending his son Jesus to die on the cross, then how can I be worried about that? How can I be so depressed about this particular thing? How can I be angry about this? And how can I be afraid of that? And specifically, and John's going to get that in our text, how can I just ignore what this means for my life and keep on doing that, that, that thing that you know is wrong, that I know I shouldn't do? And that's what John is about to get at. He basically lays out, if you believe and confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior, this is who you are. You are a child of God. God has actually put his nature into you. You are born again. We read that in our text today. You are born again. You've been born new. Something's been made new. You have the Holy Spirit, God, living inside of you. You have a family likeness to God. You receive the love of God in such a way that your sins are wiped away. And now you do a whole lot more than just know about God. You can personally experience God. And what does that look like? Like John's saying that it looks like beholding, sitting and going, wow, God loves me this much. And my life can never be the same because of it. 
I'll never forget the day I told my wife, Meredith, that I loved her. And then she responded the same way. I practically floated down the stairs after that, that night. I don't even remember driving back to my apartment or going to sleep that night. Okay, it totally changed our relationship. At that point, our relationship goals, the, the end goal became a little bit more possible of one day being married. And it's like that with God. When we know that we're loved that much by God, the possibility of knowing God, not just knowing about God, becomes real and life-giving. So far in our our study of 1 John, John has been teaching against this view in the culture that basically says that the body is bad, it's corrupt. And so to know God, they would say, is you, you just you, you got to realize your real life is floating up there somewhere in the clouds, as Pastor Dave said. And what you do in your body doesn't matter as long as you believe and say and confess the right things. They would say that to be a Christian, it's just to have a special knowledge of who you really are. And so they would believe that sin is totally irrelevant to their fellowship with God, since their bodies are corrupt anyways. They're going to be separate from them. So they wouldn't have seen as a big deal, as sin, sin as a big deal. But what John is going to say in the following passages that we're going to read is that no, that is actually not true. Sin is a serious matter, and to deny its presence in our life, in our physical life, or to just view it flippantly as no big deal is to align ourselves with deceit and darkness. So let's read this passage, the following passage, verse 4 to 10. But let's read it in the light of what we already have learned, what, what John is saying. We, we've defined the world as a system that is opposed to God. We define sin so far as that which goes against God's will, rebellion against God. So let's see what John says here. If you turn with your Bibles to 3, verse 4 to 10. Everyone who breaks the law, everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he, just as Jesus, is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil. Because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. John, what are you saying? Some of us are reading this and we're going, well, I'm out. I sin. I struggle with stuff and sometimes I struggle with the same thing more than once. I'm toast. This stinks, John. Not what I wanted to hear today. But let's look again. John is talking about children of God, and he's describing the relationship of sin to those children of God. People who have confessed that Jesus Christ is Lord, that they know God. Some of these people John is talking to are saying, I'm way beyond what happens in the body. I'm all about my mind, man. Get outside your body. It doesn't matter what you do. Just know God. And John's saying, that's ignorant and foolish. 
But John is also unpacking something that we've already heard about previously in the letter. We've already heard about this, this sin thing. And he, he said in that, he said that if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Okay, John. So if we say we don't sin, we're, we're lying. And we're, we're telling Jesus that he's a liar. But if we sin, then we're, we're doing something wrong here. What's going on, John? What are you really saying? Now, John's readers would have in mind this word born again that he brings up, being born of God, having God's seed in them. They would have in mind Jesus when he's talking to Nicodemus in John 3. When Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, he's basically talking about how you're being born again. And so they would realize that sin is totally incompatible with being born again, being born into the likeness of God. So we need to be so dissatisfied, John is saying, with its presence in our life that we need to acknowledge it. And when it happens, we need to call it out and confess it. That's what he said in 1 John 1 verse 6. And therefore receive forgiveness for it and cleansing from it and continue not to have this sin push God aside, but to have fellowship with the God of light. Let me say this again. John has already said that if you say you have no sin... You're a liar, and the truth is not in you. You sin, and when you sin, you need to confess it. But John is also saying that persistent sin is not okay, nor is it natural for someone who has actually beheld the love of God, like he described, beholding the love of God. And this is the case when we're born again. We are no longer slaves to sin. We've been set free, okay? No longer slaves. That means... We have freedom to actually resist the devil by God's power, that we're no longer bound by change to, I have to do this thing that I want to do or that I struggle with, attempts me, I have to do it. We don't have that anymore when we believe in Jesus. Look at Romans 6. He says, for we know that our old self, this is Paul speaking, sorry. He, he, He says, for we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. We don't submit again to our old master. We've been born again. We've got a new master, Jesus. And then, and then Paul says later on, therefore, do not let sin reign. Don't let it have its roots. Don't let it dig in and, and, and don't give in to this sin. Don't let it reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. It doesn't make any sense anymore. That's not natural. Or to put to death the old self and walk in newness of life. This is what you see represented in baptism. When people are buried with Christ in their baptism and then raised to walk in newness of life. This is like a new swagger. You guys know what swagger is? Like a strut that you kind of see athletes have when they make a nice game-winning shot. Like LeBron James made like two game-winning shots in the NBA playoffs anyways, and he's walking around. He's like, yeah, I'm the man. Except for... Pastor Dave pointed out that this isn't the same kind of swagger. This isn't the swagger that points to ourselves. This is a swagger that doesn't go, yeah, I'm the man. It's Jesus is. It points to Jesus. It's a humble swag, okay? Humble swag. (laughs) So the way John puts it is Christians must admit that they sin, and Christians must not sin. John is saying, hey, the actions of people reveal where their loyalties lie. Either you walk in the light with God and love other believers, 
When you walk in darkness and you, kind of, you stumble around blind, returning to sin again and again, and, and this becomes clear that this will become clear when Christ comes again. But I'll, I'll wait. We'll, we'll unpack that in a moment. But let's talk more about this. If you are a child of God, you've got a new nature, you've got the Holy Spirit living inside of you, and you know that the reason that the Son of God appeared was to destroy, especially to undo what the devil's done in your life, the sin that's plagued you in your life. He's come to undo that, to set you free. God's Son has acted against the devil. And so to willfully, to, to make a habit of sin, makes no sense for us if we're children of God. It makes no sense if you've beheld the love that God the Father has lavished on you to keep on sinning. You see, the only way you can do that is if you just push out the love of God from your heart or from your mind. And you think about your own pleasure. And you think about your own self. And you know what that is? That's idolatry. That's making something greater than God. See, if you're in love with someone, you can't go around kissing someone else and think that everything's okay. Okay? Jesus came to destroy the devil's work of temptation and enslaving people. How can we make a habit of giving in? Or even justify it with, it'll just be this one time and then I won't do it. It doesn't work in marriage. And it doesn't make sense here either. When we know, when we know God, when we know the truth, when we know we're God's child, we need to stop sin dead in its tracks. We need to make war against sin. This verse shows that he came to make war against the devil. Do we make war against our sin? Or do we sit back and just kind of go with the flow of our lives? See, John's speaking to people that they're trying to place and reduce belief into the realm of the mind, not the heart. And sometimes we might think that we know something about God, but we don't really know God. And you know, as Christians, when we rightly view ourselves as sinners saved by grace, we can say, it is a miracle that God loves me. And in turn, the response of that is to do what is right by the power of the Holy Spirit and to love our brother, brothers and sisters in real and tangible ways. So how can we keep remembering who we are? How can we keep this in our mind? I think that there are two things. The first one we've kind of looked at already. We need to look back. We need to behold what Christ has done for us on the cross. See, the cross shows that God has lavished his love on us, and it's absolutely out of this world wild. Jesus Christ took our place, the punishment that we deserved because of our sin. He took it, in a sense, traded places with us. And because of that, we are gods. We don't put God in our debt by doing, our, by doing good works as though we don't have sin. We confess it. And we're also able to sit and wonder at this amazing love that God has given, has lavished to us. Let's live in light of that. And the second thing is, look forward. I saved the first verse of this passage um, for this. In verse 28, John has encouraged his readers to continue in Christ so that when he appears, this is referring to being revealed and coming back again for us, we may be confident and unashamed at his coming. And then we see in verse 3, verses 2 to 3, he says, we know that when he appears, we will be like him. That's the goal. Honestly, you know this isn't really a foreign concept to us, this idea of having a goal, of looking ahead to an end goal and, and pursuing that goal. I mean, if you're training for a competition, say you're training for a marathon. If you want to do well, you've got to do what? Eat cookies and ice cream for breakfast? 
No, <laughs> exactly. You know that's not good for you. Not only is it not going to help you, but it's actually going to pull you further away from the end goal. And, and guess what? Sin isn't going to be part of us when Jesus comes back again. It's not going to be a part of it. We have an end goal of being sinless. And so now, already the work's being started, that we're being sanctified, that we live in the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't need cookies and ice cream. You know, when the devil puts that up to our face and he puts this sin like cookies and ice cream and he's tempting us, we just got to remember who we are and say, get that out of my face, devil. I'm a child of God. I'm not a slave to you. I'm not your slave. I'm a child of God and I've seen. I've beheld the love that God of all that what God has done for me. And the nicest, chewiest cookie you can put in front of me is nothing compared to the finish line that's coming my way. Amen. I'm going to I'm gonna boogie on down the bridge and flee from you, okay? So look forward to that. Resist the devil. Think of Christ appearing because it's going to happen and it's going to make clear what is true in your heart. This is going to be awesome for those of us who believe in Jesus Christ. Hope will become real. Those of us who are united with Christ, who have beheld his love, we're finally going to have that hope fulfilled of sin being just done in our lives. But it's also going to be a sad day for those who are ashamed when he comes, whose allegiance to him is just minimal, who don't live and haven't beheld the love that God has offered to us. And I pray that, I pray that that will be none of us here. That we want to see, see each other accept, the Lord, the, accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior and look again to his coming. And we should be living on mission in light of that. And what does that mission look like? Well, John lays it out in verse 10. We do what is right and we love our brothers and sisters. We actively love by meeting together. We confess our sins when we mess up. We forgive each other. And we share the good news with each other self-sacrificially. And that is possible, really, only if we know and remember who we are, that we are children of God. And today as we come to the table, as we come to partake in remembering Christ's death on the cross, there's some of us here today who we need to, we need to forgive our brothers and sisters. We need to forgive those even though they're hard to love. And some of us here have some sin that's kind of been plaguing us. It's been making a habit into our hearts. And we need to confess that to Jesus and repent from our sins. To turn away from it and say, I'm behold, I've beheld the love of God. I'm going to turn away from this. And others of us just need to sit here today as we, as we remember Christ's sacrifice and just behold how amazing the love of God is.